Peter Thomas Fornital here. We at In The Money Media are so happy to be partnering with Maggie Wolfendale on this new podcast series. On these shows, Maggie is telling the story of the horses through the voices of the people who love them and whose lives have been changed by them. Best of all, they're being produced to benefit our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, whose mission of saving lives, both human and equine, is so important to Maggie and so important to us at the network. To make a gift to support this show and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, go to trfinc.org slash off track. That's trfinc.org slash off track. The next voice you hear will be Maggie Wolfendale. Gelding, fold May 19, 1999, in New Jersey, by Castleguard, out of Amy Alexis, by Right Mind. Ten starts and no placings. Earnings, $815. Jockey club name, Alex's Castle Dream. But wait, this is a double header. A Bay Gelding, fold February 24, 2010, in California. By Ally Magic, out of Woodford Princess, by Candy's Gold. 21 starts, 1 win, 1 second, 5 thirds. Earnings, $15,665. Jockey club name, call him Patty. This is their story, off track, and what a story it is, told by their writer and owner, Lainey Ashker. joined by Lainey Ashker, five-star event rider and professional dressage rider as well. And Lainey, I first off, I have to thank you for all that you do for promoting off-track thoroughbreds. And we're going to get into talking about two of your legends that Mm -hmm. you've campaigned. And I just have to thank you so much for joining us here on Off Track. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I, I couldn't think of a better reason to be on online and, and chatting <laughs> with you. So thank you for having me, Maggie. Um, Lainey, first off, I kind of want to get into how you were introduced to thoroughbreds. Your mom, Valerie, I think she's the one, correct me if I'm wrong, that initially kind of was the one who recognized their potential. And she wrote too, right? Oh yeah. My mom, so my mom is kind of the one that's introduced me really into riding. So the backstory on that, uh, my mom uh, rode my mom was born and raised in LA and then moved, my mom sort of moved back and forth with my grandfather's job, uh, moved to Michigan, uh, where she grew up, um, you know, outside of Detroit. And I kind of, it was a funny story. My mom rode along, there's a very famous show jumper named, um, Katie Prudent, who was back then Katie Monahan. And my mom was in the up, down, like baby little kid lessons alongside with Katie. Um, and so that was kind of a fun story. And um, my mom always loved horses, couldn't really afford one. Her very first horse was 
an Appaloosa thoroughbred, which is kind of funny. That's what we bred at the very, you know, as our last homebred. Um, but my mom has always been a fan of, of sort of the underdog. And um, my mom, you know, we, we've always been uh, people to sort of, you know, rescue dogs, rescue birds, and heck, why not horses? Um, and, and plus, we, you know, we've always been fans of repurposing. And, um, you know, I, I was born and raised in California. Um, we've got a lot of sort of, I wouldn't say there are nothing like Kentucky uh, tracks, but um, nice, nice, fair circuit tracks where you get a lot of claimers and a lot of sort of fair, fair bred horses out there. But I'll tell you those fair, there's kind of circuit bred horses are the ones that have taken me to the top of the sport. And um, horses that you know, you get them before they've been run into the ground and those horses have so much heart because they've lasted on the track and, you know, they've, they've taken me through the ranks of eventing. And, um, my mom rode with me until she was seven months pregnant with her Appaloosa thoroughbred that she kept a stallion because she didn't know any better until it was like, you know, five or six years old and kept jumping out of the pasture. You know, she didn't know any better. Um, and then finally, like, oh, maybe I should probably geld this thing because it's jumping out of the pasture to get to mares. And, uh, you know, and rode to, in the preliminary championship so she was seven months pregnant, had a special riding vest put on for cross country, special riding britches. And so kind of when I was born, I kind of just had a natural want to be around horses. And, um, so I got my first thoroughbred, uh, I got my first pony when I was, uh, three, I believe, or four years old. And then I got my first off the track thoroughbred. His, I, um, his name was a uh, dancing blue balls, dancing blue bells, pardon me, dancing blue bells, but not blue balls, blue bells. Um, and he was a, your dancer. Um, and I, I named him, my mom, let me name him. I think I was like, you know, eight years old. So in, in a normal eight year old named their horse, it was naturally fish bones and um, fish never made it to the track. And they got it from a guy. It was a kind of a cowboy that ran his horses um, in the fair circuit. I think he ran him at Pleasanton, um, Chet Strickland. And I took fishy all the way up to the two star level. And, um, you know, bless him. He was, he had ring bone, side bone and, that horse was so amazing. And I, and I had him, um, I sold him, um, or I leased him and then sold him to really great clients of mine that had him until he was like, you know, 32 years old. So he was a great teacher and a great horse. And I just, I fell in love with the thoroughbreds just because, because of that reason, their longevity, their heart, um, you know, fish had a great amount of bone on him. So he's a great mover. Um, you know, and, and like I said, as, as the sport has progressed, I will say um, you've had to you you have to be a little bit more nitpicky about looking for the movement that can compete with the warm bloods, but it's out there. It really is out there, and um, and I will say the sport and racing has progressed as well, and they're breeding really great horses um, with a lot of bone and substance that can carry on to the second their second careers. And I've been very blessed to. Um, I, I can't even take credit for making these horses into um, the athletes that they are because they were they were bred to be that. I've just um, where I can take the credit is just believing in them and showing them what they can do, really um, not what they can't do. And um, I've just been very lucky to um, to just be graced with with really really great horses in my barn. Well, let's talk about some of those great horses. And I, I love the fact that you kind of, you mentioned pedigree, but the two we're going to talk about, they're not the, 
the AP Indies. They're not the Curlins of the world. Um, Call him Patty, a California bred. He won one race. (laughs) I'm surprised he even did that. (laughs) But a superstar when it comes to cross country. I love your helmet cam um, footage with him. If anybody listening wants to go check it out, just just Google Lainey basically. Um, And this horse, Patty or Patrick, as you affectionately call him, his ears never waver. It is, what are we doing next? Where am I going? What am I jumping? He just looks like he's having so much fun. Pat, Patty would like to have a sport of just cross country, and that would be his uh, favorite sport ever. He is cracked out. Uh, we call him a Tasmanian devil when he's on the cross. And he is my, you know, Al, uh, I've, I've been, I'm a snaffle person, and I'm a snaffle person through and through. And I've always said, well, if you can't ride him in a snaffle, then you've not trained him enough. Well, I will say, um, Patty was my first, one of my first horses, not my first, but one of my first horses in the in the recent future that I spoke with a, a very dear friend of mine who is a, a, an eventing legend by the name of Lucinda Green. Um, when, I, when I moved Patty up to his first advanced a couple of years ago, um, we had our very first cross country issue because we, um, it was towards the end of the course and um, he was, he's always been a tiger on the cross and I've always ridden him in a snaffle and the, through the three-star level it was fine because he's such a, he's also such a careful jumper but we got into a little bit of trouble because he got a little bit too um aggressive going into a coffin and then couldn't jump his way out of the the corner out of it and I just didn't have the control that I needed to um and so it kind of gave me a little pause and I went and I called and I talked to Lucinda Lucinda Green and I said um you know, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not one to bit him up because it, usually it's a problem in, in the rider's standpoint, something that I've been doing wrong. I haven't trained and I definitely found in right pointed corners at the advanced level, a loophole in my training with Patty. Um, and she offered to put, you know, she did like too big of a step. I don't want to steal away his shine by putting a such a big bit in his mouth. So what do you suggest? And she suggested the Waterford. And, and I always think of the Waterford as being, and if anybody doesn't know it, you can Google it. It, it looks like, oh, God, this looks like such a horrible bit. Um, you know, a non-horsey person would think that it looks like a Frankenstein bit. Um, but, but Lucinda educated me a lot on the bits and said, you know, no, this is actually just a step up from a snaffle. And it just gives them something that they cannot grab onto. And it ended up being such a great tool to help me. Um, sort of just hone and focus Patty's um, excitement on the cross. And because I never wanted to make him be scared of the hand or take away that forward momentum that he loves. Like he loves the cross country. I want him to love it, but I also want to never, like, again, never put him in a place where he can't get out of because that, that was what happened at our first advance where Again, he I, I couldn't really get the control back. And the advanced level is a totally different ball game than any other level where the the fine-tuning, you know, it goes from being feet to inches, you know, and then on the five-star level, it goes from inches to centimeters. Um, and we just had got a little too close, and then the then the ditch came up, and then the, then all of a sudden the two stride out just became too long for, you know, he's 15 too. You know, he's a small little horse. He's got Napoleon complex. Um, you know, and would never touch a rail. It's just like, like between he and Al, I mean, I think I've had maybe five rails between the two of them in their career. So 
Um, I'm very fortunate to have such fantastic jumping horses. And, um, and it, like I said, if you ever want entertainment, watch his, watch his GoPros because it's, so, it's always like patty ho, patty ho. You know, I always love his best for life. And uh, yeah, he's been, he's been a really fun horse to have. And, you know, it goes to show you with the thoroughbreds, you know, I, I have been finding a lot, like I'm, I'm obsessed with the AP Indy horses. I think they all jump unbelievably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, you know, none of mine have any sort of breeding, um, but what they do have above anything you can pay for this is they have a heck of a ton of heart. So, um, and you just can't breed that. You can't breed that. So, um, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm very lucky. And, you know, where, where Patty, where Al has amazing movement um, and so much skill in the dressage, Patty's was more of a learned um, and much to his dismay because he would much rather not be step foot in the dressage. Um, he has a great brain so that I could train him to it so that he could at least be competitive enough. He wouldn't be like Al where he would win after the first day. But he was competitive enough and had a super canter um, so that he could be in the top five, top ten and be within striking distance because after that he would be finishing on that score. And that's, you know, at the end of the day and when with the with the dressage being hard enough and the jumping being as technical, um, you have to be within striking range, you know. Here's my question for you is I feel like a lot of uh, eventers still – Love a thoroughbred, but we've, as you kind of alluded to, you mentioned that they've gravitated towards the warm bloods and that's because of their movement. So what is it about a thoroughbred that, or what do you look for when selecting a thoroughbred in their movement that makes you think that they can be competitive with those warm bloods in dressage? Well, the biggest thing is having a really free shoulder, a really open shoulder, um, you want to see a nice slope in the croup, a shorter back. I like a longer neck personally. Mm-hmm. But you know, above all, Maggie, you know, if you look at sort of Mickey Young and his and his and his Biscotech Sam horse, which was seventy five percent blood, by the way, it's not so much having. We don't need dressage horses, and that, and that and I'm, it's coming from me. I you know I, I ride Grand Prix dressage, so and the, you need movement for that. So don't let anybody fool you. You need movement for pure dressage. Mm-hmm. But what you need more than anything in eventing is a horse with a good brain. And I think where a lot of people fall short or give thoroughbreds a bad rap is that they don't have a good brain. And look, I've ridden plenty of thoroughbreds that have horrible brains, but I've also ridden lots of warm bloods that have horrible brains. I think it's not the horses. I think it's their environment. Um, And I think if you put any horse in a bad environment, just like any person in a bad environment, they're not going to have a good brain. Um, and I think if it's all about how they've been started, um, how much they've been, you know, it's their background. It's like any human, you know? Um, and so I don't really credit that to, uh, the horse so much and their breeding. I credit it a lot to their, the environment in which they've been in. How is the trainer? Has the horse run while it's been hurt? Um, have they laid the horse up properly? You know, um, how are you putting, you know, tools or are you putting on draw reins or gogs on your horse? You know, be, I'm not a person to use those type of gadgets, the gadgetry on the horses. Um, so, and I, and I think especially with thoroughbreds that when they come off of the track, they don't necessarily understand what the leg is. And I think a lot of times people put 
um, gadgetries like spurs, bigger bits, um, draw reins on a bit too soon when they don't understand what the concept of contact for our sport and leg is. So then, of course, naturally they're going to become nervous. Um, you know, so I think a lot of those things, they're just a product of their environment. Um, so I think there needs to be an understanding of how to properly start a horse off of the track. So more than anything, um, more than anything that I look for is, is where, where is our starting point? What's the eye look like of the horse? How is he, how is he settled in his environment, especially if they're coming off of the track, which is a very harsh environment. If the horse can handle that, then they're going to be able to handle my, you know, shows that I'm equivibing them. I'm magna waving them. I'm brushing them down. I'm hand walking them and grazing them. I mean, my, it's a cakewalk, you know, um, because at the end of the day, it's, you know, and this is no disrespect to the track. Cause I do think the tracks take impeccable care of the horses, but let's not, let's call a spade a spade. It's stress. It's stress city. Um, you know, and I think, I think if, if these, if these horses at a young age can handle it, and especially the horses, everybody says, oh, well, this horse is raced till it's seven years old or has had 56 races underneath it. Well, look, if that horse is still sound, I want that horse. You know, <laughs> those are usually the ones that I take. So yeah, those horse last, those horses last the longest because they know how to take care of themselves. Care of themselves. Right. It's very interesting. I mean, your your thought process and philosophies are very parallel to what I've always believed in too. And so when you find that horse off the track, what are what are kind of the initial steps? Like what did you do with Patty and Al when they first came off? And don't get me wrong, I know every horse is an individual, sure, but sure. speaking in somewhat generalities, what what's kind of that whole process? Well, so with with Patty, Patty and Al had two different upbringings um, because mm-hmm. my mom, so Al was someone that my mom and I found together. I, I found him more so, and then Al kind of went under my wing because I was I was in college or about about to go to college, so Al went to college with me. Patty was out in California and I had moved out to the East coast and I I was when we're, you know, the, it was the second year of the retired racehorse project. And I I wanted to have a horse for that. And my mom, um, Rhoda Marsh is a very good friend of ours. Um, and Patty was training with Trisha McConnell, um, lovely woman who had taken Patty under her wing and had had trained him and then also rehab him because he had an injury on the track, um, a bony injury. Um, and so my mom got Patty and, um, Rhoda said, look, at this is a really good horse because my mom wasn't initially really that impressed with him. Um, and my and Rhoda said, no, you got to trust me on this. because we've, we've bought probably about 10 horses from Rhoda over the course of our, our the career. And, you know, they've been great horses. So we trust Rhoda and she said, you know, you got to get this horse. It's a great horse. And I still, I'm still good friends with Trisha today who keeps up with Patty because I told her he's got a home for life. This is my horse. I love him. And so she's very grateful and I'm very grateful. Um, and so my mom at the time lived on the Tevis, lived close to the Tevis Cup trails. If anybody knows anything about endurance, Tevis is like the Rolex or Kentucky, if you will, of, of endurance riding. So these horses come off the track um, and they're race fit. Uh they could be as racist as they want to be, but the second they take 15 minutes on one of those Tevis Cup trails, they're lathered in sweat and they're on a long rain. And so my mom spent the first 
good month. First, we, we let Patty down, um, you know, for, and it depends on the horse. Um, Patty's always been kind of a dude. So he, you know, she had, he had a, you know, a good couple of weeks of let down and then, you know, learning how to be in a pasture, not in a stall, um, you know, run, kind of, a couple of times would run around like a ding dong, you know, went from being, you know, he went from being in a stall to then sort of a little stall to a corral, then to a pasture. Um, and some people will just turn them right out and that's fine. Uh, if they're not leg down, it's uh, you're kind of throwing caution to the wind there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, my mom started him on the, on the trails and did that for a good a good couple of weeks before she took him into the arena to teach him how to go into the contact because he had to learn how to be sure-footed, how to move off the leg when he wanted to stop because there was a stream. You put the leg on. Whoa, what's that? What's that? What are those two things that are low on my side, right? Yeah. Um, and then when I flew out to come visit her, I think she'd had him for about three weeks. I met him and I, I don't know what it was, but for me – there's nothing that I'm like, oh, I'm going to go look at this horse and try. That's never been me. I just have an instant connection with a horse. Even my the two warm bloods that I have, and I have two warm bloods now um, in my eventing string, and I saw them off a of video. I didn't try them. I just saw them, and there was an instant connection that I saw. And same thing with Patty. Same thing with Al. It's just that is how I kind of go on and how I like my horses. And yep. I saw Patty. It was just – it was love at first sight. And – we took them. I like to start my horses jumping. Um, and most people don't like to do this, but I like to jump them over natural jumps, mm-hmm. um, especially when they've never jumped. I think logs are more natural for them to want to jump over. So I took him, um, we took him cross country schooling for his first time at Hiskins. Um, and that was a sort of an old stomping grounds of mine. I grew up in California. And then the rest is history. My mom brought him out a month later to Cal- to Virginia. And I ended up taking him to the Retired Racehorse Project. Al was a little bit different because um, Al was at a, a, a people call, a named Lord and Paul Jaden um, to be sold. And the story behind Al um, was Al was at the West Virginia racetrack. Um, you know, he had raced a couple of times, you know, not successfully, neither of my horses were very successful on the track, but I think he'd won <laughs> like $3,000. Um, and, uh, he was not doing very well. Um, and the gal that had bought him, uh, her name was Beth. Beth was an amateur rider, had just gone on West, went to Charlestown to go look for horses and bought Al for $400. Okay. And uh-huh. I saw his head sticking out. Um, and said, wow, this horse is beautiful, bought him for $400. So she gets him, takes him back to her farm. He either bucked her off or ran away. It was, it was a traumatizing experience for her. And she said, no more. So she sent him to Lauren and Paul, who had a very good eye for a thoroughbred and sold lots of top five-star horses to top riders um, you know, over the course of many years, um, including Woodburn for Philip Dutton, um, mm. and many top horses. So um, long story short, they had Al for about a week. Uh, someone had offered, I want to say it was like $8,500 or $10,000 within that week, and it might have been $8,500, and Beth didn't take it. I, I am not kidding. The next day, Al had a freak out where he, he reared over and broke Paul's leg. Okay. 
Paul, and, and I'll tell you later on why this happened. Um, they call me and they're like, okay, Lainey, you've had a couple of wild horses. It's a really nice horse, which I'll never negate that. Would you come up and try him? I connected the dots together because Beth actually leased for a long time, years before my fish bones horse, which we previously talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a really good eye for a horse. There's some people that don't know what they're doing and just have a great eye for a horse. Beth is one of those people. So <laughs> I was like, what the heck? They sent me a couple pictures. The horse was beautiful. Went up, mom and I went up. It was the hottest summer day in July. <laughs> And we went up and saw him and they, they would not even get on him to show him to me. Okay. They're like, the horse is a little dangerous. It proceeds to lose two shoes on the lunge line. Okay. At, Cause it's freaking out on the lunge line. So I was like, what the hell? I'll get on it. So I get on it. It trots two steps. I'm like, okay, I love the horse. And then I jump it over a jump. I'm like, okay, I totally love the horse. Mom gets on. It kind of like does a bucky thing with her, but we decided to get it. My mom writes a check. It was either, I want to say $1,500 or $2,500. And the check number was 666. Oh, no. I have to tell you the whole story because it's just, it's such a great story. Um, the check number was 666. And meanwhile, Al's like freaking out as we were putting him in a stall. And we, I, we wrote a contract then there in the office. It was contingent on a 15-day trial because I was worried. Like, I, I was like, look, at I'm like, 18 or 17 years old here. This horse is crazy. I'm going into college. I don't know what I'm going to do. So if I can't get it in 15 days, like we got to bring it back. And then it's going to have to, like, I don't know what you're going to do with him, but whatever. So they were agreed upon it. We got home and I will tell you, I thought I was a God because we got home totally fine. Right. Like, and I was like, okay, I've done something magical to this horse. And, and I will say, I took him to school at UVA and, and when I got, I took him on a trail ride and he flipped over backwards on me repeatedly. And I found out then and there, the horse was dreadfully scared of cattle. And wow. So, and, and, and Paul and Lauren still this day think I'm like amazing. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You guys were just, their place was surrounded by cattle. So I'm not amazing. Um, I just, knew to avoid any shows with cattle with Al. And so, um, and he's never gotten over, like I, Al has, I call it a cow dar. And if there are cows within, I don't care any amount of mile rate. Like if there's, if he can see, smell, feel, hear, and sense cattle, he will sense them. He's jumped. He's been to England a few times for shows at, um, you know, uh, Burley and I'm um, going to England for, to go to China and he's jumped out of the pastures a few times. And he's no sheeps. Sheeps definitely are a bad thing for him. So, yeah, he doesn't do farm animals. So, and unfortunately, he doesn't. He would never touch one of the jump, like one of the pastures, because he jumps so high. Not unfortunately. It's very fortunate. As I'm watching my horse gallop down a foreign road, you know, in England, I'm like. Well, this is not good as we're preparing to go to, you know, Burley. There goes my horse galloping down the road. So, yeah, Al's upbringing was more, um, you know, he had, you know, Lauren and Paul had him. You know, he'd been off the track. So I kind of took him and kind of made lots of mistakes. I still think if 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 I had Al now, um, knowing what I know now, he probably would have been 
winning many medals. I, I wish I I wish I had a horse of his caliber. I, I probably will never have a horse of that caliber ever again. I was very lucky to have a horse of that caliber ever. I probably won't ever get a horse of that caliber ever again. Um, but I'm lucky that I at least got to sit on a horse of that um, caliber because there is no warm blood. There is no creature in this world that is as talented as that horse. And to still hold up, at, he's in 1999, he has no shoes on. You know, he's he had a um, central sesmoidal ligament that um, after his second Kentucky kind of probably went undiagnosed that we didn't know about because it was vi- you couldn't treat it still to this day. You still can't treat it. Um, tough as nails. He's 16 hands, you know, with shoes on. Um, and to jump around the world's biggest tracks and just, you know, be as tough as that is and to take me around 10 five stars, you know, um, and I wasn't a very good rider when I first got him. I made every mistake in the book. It took me three tries to get around a three star to go get a qualifying result. Um, and then towards the end of his career, I started to, you know, sober up and finish out and fin- and figure out how to be a sober enough rider to ride a horse of his caliber. You know, I just wasn't, I wasn't, um, uh, mature enough in my riding skill to, uh, qualify for his skill level. And I mean, I turned down many, many big offers by German teams, Irish teams, um, because I, no one had been through teaching him how to like the, the figuring out how to freaking put in a nice, that was a whole drama. It took me a week just to put his feet in little saucepans to teach him to ice. You know, no one had dealt with it flipping over with cattle and, and the trust. Like I know that that horse trusted me to take me through so many five stars. It was a, and I think that's why we had such a large following at that level. Um, because I think Al really brought to the forefront, um, just how special the thoroughbreds can be and just how long it took me to get him to that level. It It's not, you can't just buy a horse to get to that level. That is through and through a relationship and trust a horse and rider. I am sorry. That is, there is no other, there is no training. There is no money. There is no vet. There is no syringe. That is trust and that is relationship and that's pure love. So, and, and I still, and I mean, Al, Alan Patty knows who walks in probably not the greatest thing. Everybody hates when I come in because my horses start pawing um, when I walk in the barn aisle, but you know what? I'd much rather have my horses do that than hide in the corner. So, um, you know, it's, it's a very special bond that I have, um, especially with those two and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, you know, like I said, they've been very patient. They've been very patient for someone like me who is not, and especially was not the rider that I should have been. Um, but very grateful to allow me to be the rider that I now am, um, to take it to my other horses now, um, you know, and, and still be the horses that they are because they're every bit of world-class. And I'm just so, so grateful that they took me and took me to the world-class level, um, whether I was deservant of it or not. So it certainly wasn't for lack of effort. I find it fascinating and admirable that you say that you call, and I'll be blunt here, um, Al, who the show name Anthony Patch, his race name, his jockey club name was is Alex's Castle Dream, a horse that 
I honestly have no idea what his pedigree is. Like those <laughs> names and his bloodlines yeah. do not stick out <laughs> to me at all. But the fact that you say that he's such a quality horse mm-hmm. for what you did, I think, and you're you're being very modest, but it speaks to your ability and your patience and vision um, as a rider to get them to that level. So um, I think you should take a bow because Wait, yeah. not uh, so many people, as you said, buy this. Um, they, you know, or they, they get this because they've proven that they are that type of rider. They get given those horses that have been trained and trained. You train these horses from, from off track. So I think that's just, uh, just really, really an incredible achievement. You know, Maggie, quite frankly, there's no other way to do it, especially I can, I can see, you know, I, I spent, I spent the winter at Terra Nova, um, equestrian center, which is down in Sarasota and they, and they, I was very lucky to watch a lot of uh, Grand Prix jumper jumping riding. And I, and I have, that's not, that's one world that I've not spent a, a lot of time in. And, and it is, it is all warm blood. There's not a single thoroughbred in that world. And, and that is a world where I can see, okay, if you have the money, buy a, buy one, right? Why not? Why not? You know, um, it, it is a very different world to what I'm accustomed to. However, when I am, asking my horse to not only do fourth level movements, so be calm because I'm asking you to do flying changes, half passes, but now the next day I want you to gallop three and a half miles at 25 miles an hour and jump blindly down a seven foot drop into water over five foot wide ditches and brush and turn to a one and a half foot wide narrow with a blind drop. And then the next day, we're going to jump over. Now you can brush through those jumps, but now the next day, you can't touch these poles. There, what I love so much about the sport of eventing is the horsemanship that it creates between, and the trust that it creates between horse and rider. I, I, and, and say, and dressage, dressage is, is beautiful too, but I can see where people can, and I hate to, I don't want to sound like a snob by saying buy their way into the sport because look at, I have so much respect for those dressage horses and dressage riders because I'm, I'm trying so hard to be a top rider in that. And it, it is so, that is such a hard sport. It is. I know. I I, hard. Oh my god, it's so hard. I don't care what kind of horse you have and what kind of money you have behind you. It is hard. Let me tell you, I I was as a as a junior young rider. I took my off track thoroughbred, and granted, mind you, it took me ten years to get to that point. But I uh, I qualified for the region one championships, and I think we placed like sixth. Oh my god, that's awesome! But like in first level, nothing like crazy. But in a world of like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Wonder, holy crap, it's hard. It's I hard. have my free horse off the track, yeah, and yeah. he was a, he was a stake horse when he was a racehorse, yeah. but still, you know, it's so just, it's an achievement, it's and an you achievement. you should feel very proud. I, but there's no there's no other way to do it. I I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to ask a horse that I don't know through and through. Like that, I don't know from asking him to jump his very first ditch to asking him to go to his first five star. Quite frankly, no matter how many times I've called my mom and complained about, oh, I don't have the money behind me. Oh, I wish I was. Believe me, 
there's no one that I wish so bad I was riding at Kentucky this weekend. Oh my God, I've got FOMO. I've had FOMO for the past seven years. You know, like so bad. I have FOMO on this and I watch it like I'm riding there. But it's it will happen when it's meant to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I will when I get there, believe me, when I get there, my horse, I will know every little nuance of my horse. And it won't it won't be because I won't be, be and if, if, if there's a mistake that happens, it'll be an honest mistake. It won't be because I didn't know what my horse was going to do, or it was because it was just a first time and I didn't know what my horse was going to do because it was our first time for both of us type of deal. But I like to know, especially in this sport that requires so much of a relationship thing. And, 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 and it's not, look at people like Boyd, people like Philip, people like, like Buck, they're used to ride, have a lot of catch rides and they're so good. I have so much for people that can get on just a random horse that can do that. And believe me, I do that a lot, but I don't, I, I really enjoy the training process of like, okay, for instance, my, Waldo today did his very first ditch. That was, a, and I have my, I have a book that I write every day down what the horses do, good, bad, ugly, yay. And write in, in capital letters, Waldo did his first ditch today. And, and I, and the date, and, and that for me is really, a, it's, it's, I enjoy that part of the training process. Do I want to just be a trainer and have lower level horses? No, not at all. But I do like to go back to that and, and really um, reminisce when I get, you know, at the end of the year, hopefully my, you know, when Lottie of this time last year hadn't even done her first prelim and it is now I'm gearing towards our first three star, right? Like it's fun to look back on the, on those times and think of how far the horses have come um, you know, and be like, wow, Patrick's first, you know, jump was at Hiskins and the horse is done four star, you know, or, in, or, you know, when Al was coming off the track and I got him and it was flipping over backwards and now it's over 10, five stars and, and to take pride in that, but also to know, okay, I know, I know that this horse won't go near those, that, that cow field over there because I've been through hell and back because it's flipped over backwards. I, you wouldn't know you wouldn't know that if you didn't know the horse, but you do know that if you spent every you know icing the horse, wrapping the horse, taking the horse to clinics and back, all that stuff. And that's that's what I love about what the sport of eventing it's it's culture it breeds. You know, it's got it's got a tough culture because the people in it are tough. Like it, you can walk around with two broken legs and no one feels sorry for you because they're right. really about the horse. But that's what I love about it is it's about the horse. I find that eventing is – and I, I've – you know, I've only kind of dabbled in it and I've watched it as more of a um, of a fan than a participant. But I find that eventing is the, is the sport that honestly parallels the racetrack um, it, for, what, for what it is – at least for me, from what I see, you know, like for instance, my husband, who's a trainer, I, in what you were just saying, he gets such a kick out of going back through his old training charts and seeing 
a horse that maybe has just recently won a stake or one of the grade one winners and looking back and seeing their first, you know, three eights breeze right. where they went like 39. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh my gosh, look how far they've come because mm-hmm. you just build that that relationship. And look, you're not going to always have that in the racetrack because the majority of the game is based upon claiming and, you know, lower levels where horses trade hands quite a bit. But um, it, it, it it's so nice to hear you say that because it's such a, it's such a rewarding process as well. Now, my question to you is, obviously, you've retrained the thoroughbreds, but do you get to, I mean, since this is a podcast that airs mainly on a racing platform, do you get to go to the races? Have you done any uh, like racetrack things? So I went to my very first Keeneland last year. I went to Kentucky and did some autograph signings and sponsorship stuff. And went to, I had a blast last year and went to my first Keeneland race. I've been, um, you know, I've done a lot of races. I've done a lot of races. I did, I've been to uh, Saratoga. Um, so I did a thing with Al before Burley and that was stunning. It was stunning. Um, and, you know, I've been to a lot of just sort of the, um, oh, and I've ridden on, um, um, oh gosh, uh, the Preakness. In England? I've ridden on the Preakness track. Oh, Pimlico. Yep. Oh, yeah, ridden on Pimlico with Al. I have a really cool picture from it because it was a, doing something for the Retired Racehorse Project. Yes. It was really fun. Al, Al flipped his flipped his head out on that. Was like, Why are we on this track? Um, oh what are we doing? Are you taking me back? I'm like, no, no, we're just doing it. So we had a very good extended trial on that. Um, but uh, going to the races and coming, going back and watching Keeneland and, you know, it was so fun to see those horses and it was really cool to, like, I got the little book and I got to see the breeding because I've gotten really, um, it's really been fun. And I will credit this to the dressage world. Um, I've been looking really, really in depth into the breeding. Um, and I actually got to, this was a long time ago, about like eight years ago. This is actually the year, was it the year or the year? Yeah, the year that um, um, AP uh, and then... Indy? Was it AP Indy? Uh, no, why am I being stupid? Um, the one that won the Triple Crown. I'm, oh, American Pharaoh. Yeah, American Pharaoh. Like they, You got the initials, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, my mind's been on AP Indy. American Pharaoh won. And that earlier spring, because I was competing at Kentucky that year, oh, um, cool. I had met Donato Lonnie. And I got to go and uh, shadow him at the OBS sales. It was such a re- – like, I got – I was taking notes. Because every horse – because I was going with an eventer standpoint, and I would like the really sort of weedier, like, low-set group. He was re- liking more of the quarter horsier built horses. Yeah. Um, so we had very opposing, um, you know, eyes for what we wanted. But I really enjoyed – learning from him and what he was wanting on the track. I mean, and some of them we both like too, but it was, I was like, wow, I really like that. I was like, now this one I don't like, and this is why. And instantly his eye educated me on, okay, this is why this one wouldn't hold up or this. And I was like, oh my God, this, it was just the coolest. I am, I still, he would never remember that experience, but I will remember it for a lifetime because it was just, it was so cool to be there and like everybody's bringing horses up to him right and left, right and left. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, and he, like within 20 seconds, he sized a horse up and it mm-hmm. was, and it was so cool and so spot on. And I was like, wow, that, that, you know, you're really good at your craft when you're a, that sought after, but B like, 
able to size a horse up to that. I mean, I wanted to take forever and be like, okay, look around if you feel his legs, you know, let me see him jog, <laughs> you know, and he was like, no, don't waste my time. I was like, okay, <laughs> tough crowd here. So, um, yeah, that was a really cool experience. Uh, that I'm sure. And as you say that, I mean, the OBS sales going on right now and Donato has bought pretty much every, uh, like the top five sales toppers um, of the sales. Yeah, so he's got a great eye for a horse. It was really fun to, tra- to to just tour. I spent I spent a day and a half. I spent a full, a full day and then I spent a half day. So it was because I, I, Al had one day off after a gallop and then um, and then I spent a half day um, and it was, it was just really, it was a great educational experience. It is. Uh, following those bloodstock agents, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, so what, it, so do you still, is Al retired at Al's the moment? retired. So Al retired, he retired at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, it po- I gave him a, he had a good, I mean, he was not, he's never not being ridden, but I wanted to retire him to where. Um, he wasn't used up. Um, yeah. And that, that central sesmoidian ligament, um, you know, like I said, the, the vet said he would never be like broken, but he would tell me and his final four star, uh, he told me because he stopped at a corner and I just, the way he stopped, it was, I felt it and I felt this like kind of pit in my stomach and I was like, uh, yeah, because we were still qualified to ride at Kentucky and I never wanted to show him at Kentucky. He was always, every time he's going to a five star, He's always been a superstar and he's mm-hmm. never shown having a rail at Kentucky. And I was like, I'm not going to show him there and do it half-assed. So um, when I went um, and I showed up, uh, when I went to the four-star preceding that and he stopped coming out of a corner out of a, a mound, I was like, dude, I read you loud and clear. It's time. So it's time. Yeah. So I retired him and he went on uh, later in that year and the following year to win every third level, second and third level he did with a, with a student. And then I went and showed him and won second and went third level with him um, and qualified for the championships. And then now he is teaching lessons and he may even start to do some lower level eventing. He has no shoes on and is completely sound um, with a student of mine. So, um, and he's, what, he's 20, he's uh, what, 1999. So 24, four years old. And mm-hmm looks fantastic. He had a, I had a health scare with him earlier this year because he got a really bad sinus infection, um, Mm -hmm. where it went to the back of his skull, like behind his, uh, um, his skull. And thanks to the amazing vets, my dear, one of my dearest friends, Dr. Erica Jo Beck and at new Bolton, um, Mm -hmm. Dr. Tate, um, Mm -hmm. They uh, they took good, great care of him and did a little uh, skull, like they, a little tiny skull remover and drained it. And yeah. again, the toughest horse on the planet. Back in full work again. Um, and he has to be in work. And I always think that they get older really fast if they go out of work and he enjoys it. So You're so right. You're so right about so that. He's in a five-day-a-week work week and is enjoying life. Still doesn't quite enjoy being hacked out. Does not. He's not a trail riding kind of horse, but he still jumps um, and he still dressages, tempi changes, um, and just just phenomenal. So I'm hoping that Katie is able to do some shows on him. Nothing. I don't want him to spend the night anywhere and add too much stress on him, but do some one days and yeah, I think he'd really enjoy enjoy doing that again. And what's Patty up to? 
So Patty had an injury. He had quite a not, not happy injury. Um, again, mm. I took him to New Bolton. He had a pretty bad, um, so I'm dear friends with Dean Richardson, who I think mm-hmm. is a genius. And Dean mm-hmm. Richardson did a, a, the coolest surgery on Patty. Um, he had a really bad splint on the left front. Um, and he took a, a bone graft from his hip and added it to the splint. Um, and plated it. And then of course he was like, you know, every 3% of horses are lame from the, you know, uh, metal and lo and behold, Patty was lame from the metal. So we had to do a second surgery, pull pull the plate out. Patty came back to do four star from that. Um, then he sustained an injury. Uh, I took him to an intermediate before his next four star, which was, uh, the year before last, um, and in a sunken road, he jumped pretty hard in and, and sustained an injury to uh, the lower branch of his suspensory. So it, was, it wasn't any hole. It was just a bunch of aggravation to the lobe. And as you know, anything low in the suspensory is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't get a very good um, prognosis to come back. So basically, I've given him a, some, a bit of time off. I brought him back to jumping about a meter 25 in the fall last year. Um, and he was doing really well. And then I went down to Florida for four months and to train and I left him because I thought that that leg could use a bit more time. Um, and so he's going to get a checkup and I'm hoping to bring him back. He, both both of those horses hold no, they have nothing to prove. Um, it, my dream of dreams and for Patty, cause Patty, no matter what he lives to jump. Um, so no matter what he does, you know, if, I hope he comes back from his injury. Um, and that is going to be my goal. He currently has no shoes. So he's coming back to trot sets. Um, he's been trotting and he's been doing dressage. So he's hoping to jump within the next couple of weeks because his shoes put on next week. Um, and then, you know, I'm hoping to start competing him in the summer and then, uh, you know, bring him back to top level eventing. You know, it he's going to have to tell me, I know in, if I were to ask him and he were to speak, you know, English, he'd be like, right now, put me back in, let's go. <laughs> put me in coach. Let's see if his body can handle it. And I'm going to just take it ear, take day by day with him. You know, he lives on the Equivibe. I'm a big fan of the Equivibe. He lives in the, um, in ice boots. So, <laughs> you know, we'll see. It's, it's, unfortunately, it's, he's got phenomenal confirmation. He's got, amazing he does not have thoroughbred feet he has amazing feet this tiny horse wears like size two uh shoes he's got fabulous feet so um it's not a matter of uh of confirmation it's just a matter of whether his body's gonna hold up for it so i'm hopeful i always hold out hope and my dream of dreams would be to have that horse galloping around an advanced track again so we'll see and if not then he's gonna be with me the rest of his life so Something tells me that's his dream too. Is that to is both continue doing. We are in heaven when we ride together because that horse is. I call him my five star hamster, and I, you know, I, I believe in him, and he's just he gives me Patty gives me wings. So yeah, he might be cool. fifteen too, but he never ever feels like it when he's jumping. It, yeah, that's amazing. Well, um, so we've gotten to the point where I'll throw some rapid fire ones questions at you, which. I haven't done it for two horses, but I think you can handle it. I can handle it. <laughs> yeah. So what 
Um, what is Patty and Al's uh, favorite treats, respectively? So they both are fans of Knicker Makers. They love okay. those. And sort of any uh, – they like German stud muffins. But Knicker uh-huh. Makers takes the cake, and Patty will smile for them. He'll smile from, like, he'll two football fields away. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Um, what – if they had a theme song, what would their theme songs be? Oh, God. Uh, um, <laughs> that's good. Well, probably any rap song for Patty. Um, okay. And it has to be a really hardcore, like, juvenile or, you know. And Al would probably be something very dainty, like a um, Sade song. Or oh. it has to be something very <laughs> melodic. And because he's a butterfly and he's very oh. gentle and you have to earn his trust. Um, so, but yeah, Patty's theme song is going to be coming at you hard. And, <laughs> like a little DMX or yeah, something. Well, yeah, DMX would be perfect. That's Patrick <laughs> all day long, you know. He's a barbarian and like, um, and Al's in the chair very soft and gentle and a little bit of the violin strings and the playing in the background. <laughs> Love it. Okay, kind of going on that theme, if they were like two dudes hanging out at the bar, what would their drink of choice be? Oh, oh, that's a good one. Um, I would think that Al would probably have like um, a very nice glass of, let's see, Patty would for sure just be a beer. Any yeah. kind of beer you'd give him, like kind of cheap, just get the job done to get him drunk. Get done, like it's like a PBR. Yeah, that's Patty, right? Yeah. Like, Al would have something probably bougie, um, you know, probably something um, very aged, um, <laughs> a little oaky, you know, um, and it's good, and and it and it has to have a very soft subtle refinement to it and that that's what al would have and if it's at all doesn't taste well he would send it back and get something different uh, like a chateau uh, la tour yes. <laughs> yes. bordeaux you can see uh, why one is very good at dressage and the other one is not as good right 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 i i know the feeling yes. um okay so what's their whether it's you know training or just being in the barn or out in the paddock, uh, what are their, what's their favorite things to do? Um, Al, so Al's all time favorite thing ever. If I could hire a personal scratcher for him, like, like if I go over to him at all, like if I touch him, he'll start to purse his lips and then he'll start pointing and he'll point to some like, Al, like he'll point at a sheath to scratch that. Like, Oh, a little invasive dude like okay so he is obsessed like you can scratch the inside of his ears you scratch his like anywhere you scratch it's it's heaven to him and he will itch you back and especially when he was oh. having that the nasal infection it was I smelled so bad but I can't not scratch him right so, um so that was funny um Patty will do anything for smiling. And Patty is also extremely mother, mommy's boy. So he will tell on any of the grooms or the girls like that he's being abused by them because they didn't give him enough treats. He is the most spoiled, like only child complex ever. Like he will paw. So he, Patty lives for treats. So, and, and to the point where it was very easy to teach him to smile. So he will just smile on his own in a, <laughs> for an expectation of treats. Al will not smile. You will never teach him to smile. You just, you're a peasant, bring him treats. 
Like Patty will yeah. smile. No, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care who you are, who I don't like, you can be just a random person walking by and give them treats. Um, so that's their, like Al loves scratches. Patty loves treats. It doesn't matter who it's from. He'll eat rocks if you give him, if it's treats. So what's their least favorite things to do? Um, flying changes for Patrick. It taught, uh-huh. it took me three years to teach him a flying change. I'm like, dude, you did it on the track. I know. It's so funny how some of them like can't do it. Like I, I've had actually most of the ones I've had, like it's just, it's unfathomable. But the horse that I have right now, I I just have to think change and he does it. I'm like, wow, this is nice. (laughs) No, Patty, to teach him flying changes, like um, I, and, and, and now, like in the dressage, like when he does them, they're beautiful. They're four eights. They're lovely. But nice. it, it took me. I mean, Richard Pick and God rest his soul was like Lainey. I don't know if you, you got to teach this horse changes because it's affecting your show jumping because it will go around the wrong lead, and then it will like flip its neck around because it like because he, he's mad that he's on the wrong lead. I'm like really? Um, so that took me three years to teach him effectively and then last year when I was like well maybe I'll just let uh, one of my kids sort of bring him back while I'm away in Florida and I'll so I'll, let me give him her jump lesson and she made the mistake of thinking because he's a four which you would it would be okay in thinking because he is a four-star horse just to turn him to do a flying change well he took the bit and he took off he bolted so hard with her and I and she was like, I don't want to ride him anymore. And I was like, That's a, you know, it's okay, because he just knew he could, and he just he's a brat. I love him, but everybody calls him Bratty Patty at the barn. Um, and that you know, he's my brat. I love him to death. You know, um, and he doesn't do that with me because he knows he's not supposed to. But he did take advantages. Al's least favorite thing, I as we know, are cows or. Um, or if you give Al, I don't care if you give him a microscopic amount of butte or two grams of butte, it will sit there and blow bubbles in the corner for two days and will not drink water. So I try to avoid giving him butte at all times. You can give him banamine, but if you give him butte, Really? He knows the difference. Yes. Actually, I, I say that. Like, my horse is the same way. Yeah, he'll blow bubbles and he won't drink water. He won't eat. So oh. I've got to, like, if, I give, if, if anybody gives him butte, I have to make them, like, syringe water for a lot of times to, like, get the taste out of his mouth because he'll sit there and victimize and will not eat or drink. And I'm like, I don't want him to colic. So, yeah, so he's – that's a big no-no, cows and butte for, for Alvin. that's quite the combo it's a combo yeah it's a combo um okay so what's in this can be a combined answer or an individualized answer but what's what's the number one thing they've taught you that you've taken away that you apply to whether you're riding or just your life in general patience that's yeah that's like hands down I have learned more about myself from those horses um, and how much patience that I've needed because I've come, when I've lost my patience, I go back like 50 steps. I mean, I remember so many specific lessons. I don't, I have not lost my patience on Al very much because he never really, I mean, Al is either like, he's always perfect or it's flipped out. So you can't lose your patience when it's flipping over. And right. You're just trying to hold on for dear life. Yeah. Patty, try not I, to die. Yeah. <laughs> Patty is very Napoleon complex. And when he says no, 
like Al would never say no. He just, yes, or I'm dead. Um, Patty is, I'm going to do it. Or like Patty doesn't like being controlled. So, Mm -hmm. and so my whole, my whole training regiment with Patty was trying to control, like teach him without letting him, making him feel constrained or controlled. And there have been a few times where I'd be like, God, just freaking do it. You a-hole like God, I've said, I've brought, I've tried like giving him treats after the, the a flying change. And it was really, it's really made some of the flying changes. That's really been the only thing that has been the hardest thing. I've never met him saying no, definitely not jumping. And all the dressage has been easy up until that point. And I, there's been a couple of times where I've kind of just lost my patience on him and had an hour long ride. And it only just, he'll fight, he'll fight to the death. And I'm just like, Okay, lesson learned. So what I learned with him, especially him, was to just do a couple rides in the day, do a short ride. So mm. do like a ride where I'm leading up to the flying change or have a ride where I just go and do like a lot of flying changes. And even if they're bad, not a problem, put them away. Or if he's escalating to get to that point where we're going to get into a fight. Okay. It's not that you're giving up or letting the horse win. I hate to say that. Or getting to a point where you're ending on a bad note, you're just you're ending it before it gets to a bad thing, putting him away peacefully, tacking him back up an hour or two later, and then going back. And it always, it always pays off. It, yeah. I When I would lose my patience to try to like, you know, forcefully like gallop him into it or something, it always goes, then I'm, I go back. And, and so he really learned the art of patience. I mean totally learn the art of patience and um and and relationship with them i mean because really really those horses go patty goes because he loves it and he loves that i don't control him um or he thinks i don't control him because i honestly i really don't i just am there for the ride um but al goes because he trusts me or went because he trusts me so it's it really was just kindness and not, it's not all glory. It's not all rainbows and sunshine because they've got, I mean, of course they can't kick me. They, they, they they respect me as much as I respect them, but it's, it's doing it so that the, the discipline comes. Like I would, I don't have kids, but I would imagine that, um, you know, how I respected my parents. I think that's how they respect me. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not fear like, oh, they're going to, my mom's going to beat me, but okay. I don't want to piss mom off. I'm going to do it right. And if I do it wrong, I don't think mom's going to beat me, but I'm going to, I'm going to have repercussions and I'm going to get a spanking or I'm going to get, you know, a discipline at an area action. And then we're going to come around and we're, but we're still friends and I still love her and, and, and she still loves me and that's cool. And let's move on and go from there. We're not going to let it like bleed over. So it's been a, it's been a very, I've learned so much about myself through, through both of really all my horses. Um, and uh, honestly, I've become a happier person at the end of it. So they've, they've made me a happier person from it. A, a poor, a poorer person from it, but, but a happier person. From it. Well, yes. <laughs> Monetarily speaking, you might be poorer, but yeah. as far as your soul and, yeah. um, life, I think you're a richer person. I am person, very definitely. enriched by them. That's yeah. <laughs> Well, Lainey, thank you. I have really, really enjoyed our conversation. And like I said in the beginning, what you've done to showcase uh, thoroughbreds and what they can do, whether 
there might not be great horses on the racetrack, they can really excel in other areas. And uh, for those listening, make sure you check out Lainey's Instagram, uh, give her a follow. It's your very entertaining as well. (laughs) Thank you. We have a lot of fun at the barn. I'm very lucky, very grateful for the people that work for me, work with me, um, my students, my owners, um, but most importantly, the horses. So yeah. Awesome. Well, Lainey, again, thank you. Thank you. Lainey Ashker gets it. She gets what thoroughbreds are all about, that they are some of the bravest, the most empathetic horses that you will be around. And I'm so pleased that she has applied her high-level skills to making superstar event horses, namely out of Al and Patty. Her success is almost unmeasured that she has had with them and I love watching all of her posts on Instagram and just following her career because she's a beautiful rider. She's one of those people that just melts into their horses and puts all their trust into their mounts and I just loved the portion of the interview where she was talking about having that trust and building those relationships with her horses. Uh, so I can't thank Lainey enough for being on Off Track as well as for all of her work that she does in promoting uh, formal racehorses and thoroughbreds. As always, for those horses that can't go on to those second careers, That's why we have the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. If you want to help them out, check out trfinc.org slash off track today. Thank you.